The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, grab a hiney and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 384 with guest Rob Tiffany, recorded live Thursday, September 25th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just landed in Amsterdam... After being nine miles high for six hours, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin in a hotel room in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I'm here, of course, at the SDN conference, which we will be covering in a future show of .NET Rocks. Richard is not here. I'm doing the intro by myself from my hotel room. It is uh, Thursday morning, very bright and early just before this show is, has been published. And uh, I'm not going to talk about my experiences in Amsterdam yet, only to say that the show that we do from SDN is going to be rated R. That's all I'm going to say. It is not going to be a show that you want to play when the kids are around. That said, let's get right into Better Know a Framework. <laughs> All right, so I'm talking about a namespace today, which is in WPF, Windows Presentation Foundation. It's called System.Windows.Navigation. And navigation is a great feature of WPF that is, think of it just like ASP.NET, but with state. So one of the greatest things about ASP.NET and about web programming is this ability to just link to URIs or URLs of other content. Well, what if that content could be a XAML file? Um, or it could have an iframe with embedded HTML content. There's just a, there's basically a navigation window class that derives from window in WPF, and it gives you all those great features of navigation that you know and love. Uh, with some more stuff that you can't do in ASP.NET and in JavaScript, you know, easily hiding the back button, for example, but anyway, uh, I just wanted to point that out, the system.windows.navigation namespace and the navigation window class, use it as base class for navigable Windows presentation foundation forms. So you may be asking yourself, Carl, you're in Amsterdam, uh, where's Richard? Well, he actually didn't make it to Amsterdam this year or to uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, he's okay, there's no medical emergency or anything like that, but he did have an issue that was uh, important enough for him to stay home. Uh, so he'll be back doing intros with me, happy and peppy and bursting with love in a couple of weeks. Hey, have you signed up for the .NET Rocks Tech Ed Europe sweepstakes yet? How, are you participating? It's so easy. 
Just go to .netrocks.com slash Barcelona. Answer a stupid question about one of last week's shows, and you could win next Tuesday a Tom Ben brain bag, the best bag in the world, which, by the way, I have my brain bag here in Amsterdam, and everybody's like, ooh, wow, that's amazing. Look at that. You would not believe that it's five years old. It just looks brand new. So anyway, the best backpack for carrying around a laptop. It's made of steely fabric. Uh, also, the winners of those brain bags will uh, go into a pool, and we'll pick one at random on October 20th, and that winner will get airfare, hotel, and admission to Tech Ed Europe developer November 10th through the 14th in Barcelona, Spain. So this is a great thing. If you want to go this year or next year, it doesn't really matter. Just go to .nerox.com slash Barcelona and, and play along. What do you got to lose, huh? My um, friends at Infusion are still hiring. If you're looking to uh, get out of your current job, maybe the economy in your area isn't so good and you want to go to Dubai, maybe, uh, for a little while and party in that town and do some great work. And how about New York City? Would you like to go to New York City for a year and work uh, with some really creative people? Live in Manhattan, and they're going to put you up in an apartment in Manhattan rent-free for a year. On top of that, you'll get a New York City salary. What do you got to lose again? Hey, this is just one of the great things that we do for you here at .NET Rocks. If you're interested in either of those things, send an email to me at carl at franklins.net. Our guest today is Rob Tiffany. He's an architect at Microsoft focused on delivering the best possible Windows mobile solutions for his customers. His expertise lies in combining wireless data technologies, device hardware, Windows mobile software, and optimized server infrastructures together to form compelling solutions. Prior to his current role, Rob was a senior technical product manager for Windows Mobile in Microsoft's mobile and embedded devices division, where he focused on growing the mobile developer ecosystem. He was also responsible for planning and running one of Microsoft's largest global developer conferences. Prior to joining Microsoft, Rob founded one of the industry's first mobile device management companies. Welcome, Rob. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going great. You know why? Why is that? It's the last show of the day, Last man. show of the day. Outstanding. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> Gotta love it. So, obviously a mobility guy, uh, it, but it's such a huge line. Like, where is your specialty? What do you work on most of the time? Well, you know, I guess it's changed over the years. Um, you know, these days I work on kind of just big block type stuff, um, you know, in the past, it's gone from, you know, the nitty-gritty heads down onto the device, uh, manipulating the device, UI, that kind of stuff, um, compact framework, uh, SQL Server Compact, uh, lots of line of business applications for some of our biggest global customers. You see a lot of that. Um, the team I've been on yeah, will also do a lot of work for a lot of mobile operators around the world to give them custom home screens. You know, you've kind of seen the evolution of Windows Mobile over the years. And, sure. Um, yeah. One of the one of the biggest things that mobile operators are interested in is differentiating their devices. And so, you know, it's it's really easy to get stuck in that rut of every mobile operator having the same looking Windows Mobile device as the other one. And obviously, that doesn't increase their uh, you know specialness or their you know revenue per user or get people to come to them versus somebody else. Right. So Microsoft actually does this customization work for them. Well, it's a, it's a combination. We used to do a lot more, and uh, we have a we have a team that does will work with uh, OEMs, or you know, and also I don't know if how familiar with all the stages that happens after we release uh, Windows Mobile, like a new version. Uh, you know, it's a it's an image that goes on, you know a ROM image that goes onto a device, and so we give it to an OEM. And then they do a bunch of, you know, you know, ostensibly they're just going to create the device drivers to plug into all their special hardware. Right. But then they do a whole lot of other customizations to it above and beyond what we give them. And then when they hand it to mobile operators, if they're not just going to release it to the wild unlocked, which most of them aren't, well, it just depends on what part of the world you are, yeah. are in. But uh, usually when they hand it to mobile operators, the mobile operators spend time, and they do other customizations to for, make it further unique for them. And so sometimes either the team I'm on, I'm on a, a 
mobile vertical team, uh, a global practice in worldwide services. We kind of sit between Microsoft services and the mobile communications business, which does all the Windows mobile stuff. Um, Sometimes we've helped them do unique home screens. There's this team inside MCB that helps them. Like maybe you've noticed, uh, maybe saw T-Mobile released, uh, I don't know, six months ago, a, a new phone called The Shadow. Uh, and they wanted to have a unique home screen that had my faves on it and things like that. And it was probably one of the most different home screens we had done. And so we helped them build that. But then mo- more recently, if you've seen uh, the HTC Touch Diamond or Touch Pro or the new Samsung Omnia, you've just seen real radical departures from the standard look and feel that we provide uh, with you know all these kind of 3D touch you know gestures, being able to flip things around. So is this your response to the iPhone? You know, we've been doing this all along, and that's a very common thing. I know lots of people say, is this your response to the iPhone? Obviously, we've been doing this. I think we, you know, obviously we've had the pocket PC since 2000, and then we kind of evolved into the smartphone. I just mean the whole touchy kind of things that you were just, uh, the Samsung, for example, you know, that you were just describing. Well, you know, actually, in that case, it's 100%. In both the cases with Samsung and with the HTC Touch Diamond, uh, those guys did all that work themselves. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I have a Touch Cruise. I've had a Touch Diamond. I mean, I've played a bunch of the different phones. They seem to have a whole chunk of software that's distinctly theirs that runs on top of mobile. It's like a shell extension, really. That's exactly right. And they, huh. they rolled their own on that one. So that was 100% all their stuff. Uh, we didn't help them at all on that. So I didn't, I didn't realize that phone manufacturers could do that. I thought the OS was the OS and you got what you got. Yeah, and that and that and that's why a lot of people say, "What's the big deal when you you know launch a new rev of Windows the next day? I can buy it on a, a Dell or an HP. Why is it when you come out with a new version of Windows Mobile, I have to wait four to six months or longer in some cases to get it?" And that's the reason everybody spends time customizing it and doing their their little thing to it before you get it to, into the marketplace. And so that's why there's always that big lag. And obviously, we work really hard to try to shorten that lag time. Do you have any kind of, um, I mean, you know, you look at something like the iPhone or the Touch or, or, you know, with all the great graphics and stuff and just the reduction in the number of things, you know, things that you have to do to get things to happen, which is my biggest peeve about Windows Mobile, just on standard stuff, right? But you look at that stuff and you think, well, they must have some kind of, you know, WPF kind of light, silverlight kind of thing going on there. Do you do you supply any of those kind of graphics libraries at that level? What we've had over the years, you know, the earlier Pocket PCs had this thing called the Game API, which lets you talk directly to the frame bu- buffer. Uh, we deprecated that. And we put we put in Direct 3D Mobile, kind of a subset of DirectX. Um, I wouldn't say a lot of people ended up using that, and then we, and then you know, you have GDI, you have some ways to do alpha blending. Uh, you know, again, and a lot of other people don't realize that you know, Windows Mobile is just a, a unique implementation of Windows CE. Right. And so you know, and so you, when you build a Windows CE image, it's kind of like an a la carte menu. Yeah, I want this, I want that, yada yada. And so, um, and so the mobile operators actually they have their work cut out for them um, if, if they're not using the, uh, Direct 3D Mobile. They're just doing a lot of stuff with uh, GDI. They're doing a whole lot of P-invokes oftentimes to uh, pull off some of the cool effects to get the alpha blending and that 3D look to happen. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Sure would be nice to have a sort of a WPF light on the phone. You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we get yeah. that a lot from our developers. I doubt. Um, You know, uh, if you go back in time and you kind of look at how the pocket, the original pocket PC, and moving forward, that look and feel while it's evolved, you know, particularly like with our developer tools, you know, we have a lot of .NET Compact Framework developers out there, and uh, you know, when they open up Visual Studio and see all those controls, you know, they kind of look a lot like the controls they had with uh, VB3. Yeah, uh, pr- pretty flat, n- not terribly interesting, and so uh, you know, we're 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 working on a lot of different things to jazz that up. A long time ago, the reasoning behind that was, you know, we didn't have good processing power, we didn't have any graphics acceleration of any kind, we had very little memory, and so it made more sense to 
kind of just ha- have more of a flat UI and, and not try to dazzle too much. But today, obviously, that's changed. And so a lot of the chipsets do have uh, graphics accelerators in there. And, of course, you're seeing lots of other things like accelerometers and GPS and all kinds of things. Well, and they, I look at, like, the Touch Diamond's resolution was just staggeringly good. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. So, and we announced, uh, you may or may not remember, at, at Mix last spring, we announced Silverlight for Windows Mobile. And so uh, the folks are working on that. But uh, the, the, first, the first release of that will, will be an in-browser experience. I wonder if anybody knows that, but if they didn't go to Mix. Yeah, they know it. Yeah. Um, I, I, but, you know, I, the mobile area is, is definitely kind of a small subset. Yeah. And not everybody's in that club or chooses to be. Right. And so, uh, and so you're right. The, the word's probably not as widespread as we'd probably like. So tell me just a little bit about Silverlight for mobile. Well, um, it's going to be, you know, running in, it's actually going to work exactly like what you have on the desktop, um, okay. except it's just going to be smaller. Programmability-wise, it's it's pretty much like as uh, uh, analogous to the compact framework? Exactly, yeah. Now, a lot of people think, or a lot of people who ask, oh, I want WPF for the devices, and which is not something we're working on at this time. Uh, I hear a lot of people say, Hey, I want to use the compact framework for all the guts of the application, but I want the UI to be WPF or Silverlight, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's not what we'll be delivering the, out of the gate, you know. So initially, it will be it'll be that in-browser experience, um, uh, kind of sandboxed in there. Okay. Um, but all the other stuff is definitely on the radar, and so uh, and you know we've got a, a number of teams who work on the different, you know, you know here in Redmond you've got the just the core CE team and uh, that's and working on the kernel and things like that, and then you have higher-level teams that are, you know, working on Windows Mobile or Pocket Outlook or all the different apps. And then in India, in Hyderabad, we have kind of the mobile developer center where you have, we had recently, at the beginning of this year, moved the compact framework team there. The SQL Server compact team had already been there, I think, since about 2005, and then the Visual Studio for Devices team, so it does all the plug-in work to let you build device applications, the emulators, all that, all the tooling, that kind of stuff. They're there as well, and so all those guys work together to get this stuff out the door. And so it's that team, primarily the NetCF team, that's working on the Silverlight stuff. Okay. So pretty crazy. So in in terms of. Uh stuff that's there and that's not there. And first of all, we don't even we don't even know when we're going to see a beta, do we? You never know. You ne- I, I don't have anything <laughs> to announce. <laughs> no, I do never know. You're right about that. You I never know. know. But, you know, the problem I have with the Silverlight model is that it's largely driven on this sort of web services style mode where we're going to be making steady calls back to to get different pieces of it. It's, this is certainly not an uh, a technology well suited to a mobile that's uh not 3G that that's not sure. always connected. As soon as you're in a disconnected state, I can see that app really sort of falling down. I think that's why we you hear so many developers in our community asking for that kind of offline, you know, uh, Silverlight or WPF like type of scenario right. because more clearly more people building for mobile devices or building disconnected, you know, occasionally connected applications uh, that can get data, you know, they're aware of the network, they can pull down, do, do synchronization when the network's there, and then they can, you can keep on trucking and work offline without the network. Um, right. You, you also hear people, um, you know, you talk about things like Google Gears out there, which, you know, they're trying to address that same problem. Um, of how do you do offline for something that's always connected, typically. And I, I always hear people saying, hey, why don't we take SQL Server CE, SQL Compact, and build that into some kind of local cache and things like that. Uh, I don't know that we're doing any of that stuff, but, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, you, I, I hear that line of thinking, because that's obviously, you know, that's a, a pretty standard model we have for most of our kind of rich, occasionally connected apps. Is is you know we have so many different ways that Windows Mobile can connect and the NetCF you know runtime can connect to lots of different you know packages in the enterprise and stuff like that and then having that little database on there is is definitely key to that offline experience no question about it. So I think a lot of what I do these days 
um, I spend a lot of time talking about a lot of, you know, big picture stuff. Well, with customers, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them about, I spend a lot of time with customers telling them best practices around mobile development. Um, we have a lot of people who, uh, you know, I think we're, we're our own worst enemy sometimes. When we're marketing, we say, you know how to do Visual Studio on the desktop, so you're automatically a device de- developer because it's the same thing. It's, it's VB, it's C-sharp, it's all the same. You just, it's a subset. So then you spend the, all your time saying, well, yeah, not really. Well, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is, is you have a bunch of people building for, you know, big, fast desktops or servers with lots of memory and pa- processing power, and they, they bring those same skills or lack of skills right. or <laughs> arguably lazy programming uh, and not caring about memory management or things like that, and they bring that over and they build giant, fat, bloated things. I want to hear the run. ultimate irony. I have an AT&T Tilt. And it's uh-huh. running Windows Mobile 6. Right. And everything on it is fairly snappy except for the phone applet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a phone. <laughs> and, you know, you press a button and it's like press, bink. It takes that long to register that you've actually pressed a button sometimes. Boy, that's just not good. Uh, it's funny, though. I hate but- to hear that. What, can you talk a bit about the kind of mobile apps people are building with the Compact Framework? Like, what are people using their phones for beyond... Sure. I mean, there, there's already so much stuff that comes from the carrier. Right. What is it that, that people are writing themselves? Right. And then keep in mind, everything you see on that phone, usually out of the box or from the carrier, most of it's all C++. Um, with the exception of... If, have either of you downloaded or used the, the, the mobile version of our, our live search maps? application. No, for, I haven't used the mobile version, no. You should download it. It's, you know, a lot of people talk about how much they love having Google Maps on their device, uh, on other devices, you know, like the iPhone and other things, or you can get it on Windows Mobile. And again, maybe we're not doing a good enough job marketing, but we've had something that do, does everything that that does, plus a whole lot more for quite a while. And um, it's a super responsive app. It calls into the all the virtual earth stuff to get your mapping. It does traffic does movie show times it does finding the cheapest gasoline it's just tons of stuff it, it, it uses you know we did an acquisition of a company called tell me a while back to do voice recognition stuff on the server side and so you can you can fire up this app and talk to it and you know on a search like say where you are what you want to search for and you can talk to it and it sends it back and does a great job of interpreting what you're saying and doing search based on that and the great thing for Compact Framework developers is that this app was written in the Compact Framework. A lot of people assume it was in C++. Um, and so it's a great showcase app to show you what's possible and how powerful an app you can build with NetCF. Huh, um, LiveSearchMobile.com. Something like that. Yeah, tough, yeah, tough domain name. Yeah, if you go, you know, if you're on your mobile device and you bring up uh, IE Mobile and you click on the Windows Live link, and you, you kind of get a bunch of links, you know, for Hotmail and MSN and stuff like that. Well, one of them will be for search, and if you click on that, you know, it'll, it'll say, hey, download Interactive Maps, something like that. Anyway, you click the link, and you can download a CAD file. It's free. You know, I think it's only a few hundred K, and you can install on your device, and it does everything that you're used to doing with, uh, with Google Maps on the device, uh, plus a whole lot of other stuff, and it's totally wow. managed. And nice. the, the original version was actually written uh, in NetCF 1.0 uh, just way back when, just to make sure it had compatibility with all the devices, and it still just ran great. Uh, the most recent one is targeting 2.0. Um, so, yeah, great example app to show people what's possible. Uh, uh, the question is, can I get the source? Well, I don't know about that. I see. Now you're being difficult. <laughs> I know. I am. I am. Probably not. Probably not get the source. Can you? Um, uh, do you guys still use? Do you still use the term Windows CE? Is that still a product? It sure is, and we do. And so, a lot of there is always confusion around that. If you think of Windows CE is the the real operating system, the core, you know, and the great thing about building Windows CE, you can target so many kinds of devices, appliances. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who bring you this special message. What's more important for your web applications? High performance on the server or on the client? How about footprint, number of server requests? 
There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your application performance, and of course, there is no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building their UI components, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution for different products, different scenarios, and even different browsers. The techniques vary dramatically. As a result, you, the developer, receive out-of-the-box, highly reliable components that are optimized in every aspect of their behavior. I'm sure you'll be interested to learn more about the various performance-boosting techniques for web applications. Just go to Telerik.com slash top performance for details and live demos. One of the very first shows we did was with Nick Landry, and he laid down the fundamentals about Windows CE. I guess it's a a pick-your-features kind of operating system when you're an OEM. You go to Microsoft and you say, we want a Windows CE implementation with this, that, this, 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 and this, and you get this sort of custom OS, right? That is exactly right. Uh, It's amazing I remember all that. Yeah, yeah, he's still active mobile MVP. Active Nick. Yeah, yeah, so I guess he'll be... Just don't take him to Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Yeah, none of that, no. (laughs) (laughs) I have to keep a leash on that guy sometimes. He's pretty crazy. He's he's a little unruly. Yeah, I'm sure he wants to hear that. Anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) he was all doing all that high-performance computing stuff in New York these days, I think. But, uh, But yeah, Windows CE, you're right, it's this big... You have this tool, it's called Platform Builder... And it's like this a la carte menu. Here's 10,000, well, I'm exaggerating, but hundreds or thousands of different choices of what you want your operating system image to look like. And so it's super granular. So you can build the tiniest thing that fits in a EEPROM or whatever, uh, all the way up to, you know, set-top boxes, you know, our IPTV technology media room that a lot of people are using over Fios and some other technologies is based on that. And then Windows Mobile just happens to be an implementation of CE. So a lot of people think, you know, is it is that dead or is that something else? And they're actually the same. When you're running Windows Mobile, you're running CE. You're just running a special, specific build of series of a whole bunch of checkboxes you check right. and UI stuff to create a Windows Mobile image is what you get. And so it's always it's always underlying. Right. And C, CE kind of runs out ahead of Windows Mobile in some ways. As far as you know, they're 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 blazing ahead. You know, they're they're they've got Windows Mobile six. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, CE six right now R two, and uh, whereas Windows Mobile six and six point one uh, still runs on top of CE five, and so uh, they're they're just kind of bla- blazing ahead, and we play catch up with them. But then we on the Windows Mobile side will build things that they don't have, like we created all the Outlook Mobile and the PIM and all that, and the whole object model to get that and more of a standardized Bluetooth stack and some other things. And sometimes those wind up back in CE as well. Uh, you know, a lot of people are using CE to build VoIP desktop phones and things like that. Um, so it's an interesting relationship, but they all, they're all kind of together. All, the, all those teams work closely together, so it's not like they're in silos or anything like that. Okay. So the uh, Windows, Windows Mobile 6, as you say, is an implementation, but it also leaves a lot for customization, uh, as we were talking about, for these telephone manufacturers to That's do right. their thing. So I'm imagining that, in my case, the HDC tilt or the AT&T tilt, whichever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is uh, that phone applet doesn't come with Mobile 6, does it? A basic phone applet does, but you're right. With different operators and different OEMs, they will look different from phone to phone. Yeah. The actual guts is generally the same underneath, though. I'm um, just trying to find blame, you know? No, I understand. <laughs> and, and, you know, throw and, mud at. And, and from phone to phone, you know, uh, the implementations are different. The CPU and memory is different. The bus speeds, all kinds of things. You know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse the way we approach the market for Windows Mobile. Um, when you have someone like Apple who owns every, you know, the end-to-end experience. The entire stack. Yeah, they can build the most optimized stack, whereas we've kind of followed the PC model. And I'm a PC, by the way. Um, but anyway... Hey, I am a PC it. as well. Apparently we all are. Outstanding. That's great to hear. <laughs> um, anyway... Since we've kind of gone the, P- we've gone the PC route, 
we it's a free for all. We're we decided let's go with choice. Let's let different you know Samsung, HTC, you know Sony Ericsson is going to come out pretty quickly with one of the coolest phones you've ever seen. That is just you know right there with the touch diamond. Is you know a real another kind of strong competitor to the iPhone that's got a where they've customized it beyond belief. It's going to be this whole tiled panel-based interface with touch, and the panels are 3D, and you move them around, and they maximize, minimize, and you can it, just amazing stuff. And so, uh, and so, but with that choice <clears throat> and with the different people building it, you know, sometimes we do see variations in quality. There's no question about that. And we have testing processes, and there, the battle is always about, you know, a lot of times it's battery life is one of the key things. And so you see people tweaking in and around that. Uh, I can use a slower CPU to get better battery life. Um, you know, lots of people want more RAM, but keeping RAM static alive takes lots of battery. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of variables that go into that. And so, so we've gotten the choice route. We think that, you know, while no question the iPhone is a compelling platform, uh, you know, you, you can't help but notice how awesome it is. But we think that it might, if a lot, a lot of people call for us to do the same thing, or a lot of people say, why don't we just build a Microsoft phone? A lot of people say, buy HTC. I hear that all the time. Um, but Steve B has kind of clearly articulated that, you know, he thinks that's a limited, a limiting model as far as how, how big well, a market share we could get over time. I do too. I mean, you're basically putting all your eggs behind one vendor when you could, you know, let them compete and, and have uh, and let them strengthen themselves, right? Yeah, right. Well, and then, and that's what cultivates innovation is that competition. Yeah, and so this innovation, you know, and so we do a lot of cool things for .NET CF developers in Visual Studio to help them because when we used to have that same form factor with the Pocky PC, you could always guarantee that there was going to be that size. And then as soon as we threw that to the wind and said, let's let the manufacturers innovate and have different screen sizes, shapes, all kinds of crazy stuff. Obviously, that made it harder for developers, or you found developers ha- writing different code bases to target different models of phones, which right. is definitely not what we want. And so uh, we've done a lot of work in the last couple of versions of Visual Studio with uh, things like docking and anchoring and some other tools that are in there to help you build an app that will that can you know modify itself uh, to you know run on a square screen like a Trio or your Tilt, and then and also when you flip your tilt screen and pull out the keyboard and it goes from portrait to landscape, have your application reflow itself perfectly on the fly. We've, we've done a lot of work so that uh, compact framework developers can build rich apps that can adapt themselves uh, easily to those different, you know, screen sizes, resolutions, things like that. Hey, just out of curiosity, have you heard about Boston Power? Boston-power.com. They have this Sonata battery technology that supposedly... Uh, in 30 minutes, lets you charge a notebook to 80% capacity from zero. Wow, and, that's awesome. And it also lasts, like, they're saying that you can have your laptop on all day and charge wow. it at night. That's amazing. So they got and, and they have the same batteries um, for cell, available for cell phone manufacturers. Wow, that's good stuff. We need to give those guys a call, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no doubt about it. I don't it. know about you guys, but certainly the, uh, you know, the manufacturers of these... Of these devices do certainly because batteries is like the big problem, isn't it? I mean, th- it if is. you think about it, if you had more battery, you could have more OS. You could have exactly. a richer, better, faster. You could have a faster machine, first of all, because it isn't. It isn't that we can't make devices that are faster. We can. They'll just suck down the battery. So the manufacturers decide to trade off uh, power for, you know, long life. Sure. Like you saw what Apple did with the first release of the iPhone. It was only run on GPRS and Edge. Uh, there's a big reason for that. You know, at least then, you know, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, actually to his credit, a lot of people hate micromanagers, but that's exactly what he is. And, uh, you know, we've seen what's happened with the 3G iPhone versus the original Edge-based one. Uh, the battery life just, you know, went down the tubes really fast. Uh, and that's another factor, you know, it's the memory, it's the backlight, it's the, the network stack, your data networks, uh, all those things go together, you know, yeah. uh, to eat battery life. And they all take kind of a toll, a little tax on, 
on your you know your OS, and so you're always kind of playing that game. And so 3G and even more than 3G, turning uh, devices with Wi-Fi, turn those those on. They just suck the life out of your battery. Um, so it's a, it's clearly a huge problem that everybody's facing that has to be solved. Yeah, the most epic battery consumption I've seen on my Touch Cruise was using the 3G. Uh, with the GPS at the same time to you know look up restaurant locations while we were driving, and oh, the definitely. phone was physically hot, and you could watch the battery tick down. <laughs> oh, I believe it! I believe it! It's brutal! It's brutal! Yeah. Um, but we got a lot of opportunities for Compact Framework developers uh, on our platform. You know, our latest version of the Compact Framework is three five. Um, you know, it added. We added link to it. We've got compression in there now. We've got kind of a subset of WCF in there. Because Lord knows the people who wrote my telephone dialer applet really need link. (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. That's for sure. Yeah, probably not so much. Uh, That's what it is. That's why it's so slow. They're running link link queries. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Oh man, oh, you know, man. but but when you're trying to teach uh, desktop developers to get be mo- good mobile developers, yeah. you you almost you know, a lot of times the problem is we give people all the rope they need to hang themselves, and they do. And so I probably spend a lot more time trying to teach people what not to use. Like for instance, we uh, I, I'll see companies build stuff, you know, and they're talking to the local SQL Server Compact database on there, and and they're wondering why it's so slow. Why is it so slow to pull that data back and paint the screens? And it probably goes back to some demo they saw where we were in Visual Studio and we were dragging and dropping in the ID and data binding to a grid, and they thought, well, that's cool, that was easy. And so, you know, under the under the hood, they're using data adapters and data sets and data binding to grids. And guess what? As it turns out, that's probably about the slowest way on the planet to you know do database access on a device. <laughs> yeah. If not anywhere, for that matter. Um, and I'll hear people say, "Well," and I'll say, "Yeah." And so, my one of my rules of thumb, I, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to help customers optimize the performance and memory usage of their applic- mobile applications with NetCF. And they'll come back and go, well, if you didn't want us to use that, then why'd you put it in the platform? And I hate that, you know, but they've kind of got a point. Slap. Yeah. And so there's there's definitely lots, you know, there's oftentimes, you know, several ways to skin the cat. And so it's finding out which is the best way. You know, don't use reflection. Um, There's just, you know, abstract methods. A lot of the kind of, a lot of real cool OO purist stuff, you know, you should discard a lot of that on the device and get closer to the metal is is the real takeaway uh, to try to wring every bit of performance you can out of there. And then, be, and then always be cognizant of memory management and don't do things that are wasteful. Um, a lot of people just blindly, or, you know, they'll do the data set thing and then they'll cache tons of data sets and then right, right. they wonder why the app's running out of memory. Um, and, you know, the Compact Framework does some interesting things differently than the big framework does because of, you know, we have a lot less memory. Um, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll jit some stuff, but if it gets under memory pressure, it'll do what's called code pitching. And basically it's just throwing away that compiled code and you're going back to interpret it again. Uh, it's it's kind of like a self-preservation thing. It's trying to stay alive and keep you from running out of memory. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think back to one of the biggest projects I was on, the big, uh, big company that was doing a lot of route drivers and everything. And they built this huge app, and um, it was really slow. Now, I mean, it was obviously using tons of memory. It had hundreds of screens, hundreds of forms, and things like that. And I remember, uh, you know, having a meeting at, you know, at our mobile embedded developer conference in Vegas one year and showing it to the, a couple of the GMs, you know, a GM for Windows Mobile and, a, and the product unit manager for, at the time for the Compact Framework. And they were, you know, the real takeaway in the early days was the Compact Framework team really didn't know that people were going to try to build giant, you know, really huge enterprise apps. They were really surprised to see what people yeah. did. And they would people make People are crazy. I know, totally crazy. <laughs> They're making comments like, you know, like you think back to when we were building, you know, VB and Access apps in the early 90s or something on a 486, you know, with 4 meg of RAM, and you hear the disk grinding away with the page file and stuff like that. 
And it's, you know, if, if, the, if we had something like that on the device, I'm sure you just hear this grinding away <laughs> as, we're co- as we're code pitching, we're garbage collecting the whole time. You just, you know, but you just can't hear it or see it, you know. So, uh, but we've done a lot of things with uh, the Compact Framework over time to optimize memory and performance so you can build bigger and bigger apps. But it's still, there's still just basic kind of patterns you really have to follow if you're going to build something that's just truly huge. And, and we have some customers. We've got a customer that's got an app that's got like 360 forms on it. Uh, In a mobile app. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I know. It's, well, oh you know, God. a lot of people are, you know, some people say, well, the mobile device is actually the next computer. Um, and instead of building little tiny apps that are just kind of a stepchild to the big one on the desktop, some companies are saying, no, we're, gonna, we're making this device a first-class citizen in our network and the way we do business. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. You know, there's a new term for the class of phones that have Internet access, and they have these little mini keyboards, right? Crackberry. There you go. Crackberry. Crackberry. If you go to YouTube, actually, and do a search for Crackberry Love, one yeah. of my friends in New York did a video, a music video, on a song called Crackberry Love. Outstanding. <laughs> I love it. I love it. it well, it, people are addicted to them like crack. Yeah. And my they, thumbs are know, getting numb. My thumbs are getting right. numb. That's the I think somebody the needs to come out with, like, typing tutors for thumb <laughs> keyboards. You know, I'm doing 30 words per minute on my phone uh you see boy every time you're on a plane you sure see that yeah uh, true. in airports well i gotta admit i mean you know as as you consolidate more and more of your information that's accessible in this little thing you know then you're naturally going to be using it and depending on it a lot more and i think that's just what happens oh no doubt about it never mind Um, the whole you know communication phenomenon that you know every it, it seems like everybody's walking around just oblivious to (laughs) <laughs> What's going on around them? Just typing furiously with their thumbs. I heard that uh, in England, in London, they're having problems. People are so looking down as they're walking through the city streets, texting that they're literally walk walking into light poles and stuff like that. <laughs> there was a, there was it was just on the news that there was a, a fatality in Florida where a kid walked off into the into traffic. Oh, that's horrible! Oh my I mean, gosh, that's unbelievable. horrible. Is this a new version of the whole, you know, using your Walkman on the train tracks thing? Yes, wow. I think it is. Sure. I think it is. And it goes back to the whole Crackberry thing. I mean, you're yeah. right. People are heads down. Uh, I, you know, the phones are exploding, and they're becoming more powerful. I mean, they're like a little computer. Uh, you know, email was the first killer app for that. Everybody's getting their push email, whether it's from us or Blackberries. Um, you know, and it's just going from there. And so... After that, it's like line of business is the next big thing. Uh, I've been doing line of business apps on the phone for, you know, probably since the beginning of the decade, but I think it's only now really taking off. Do you really think that's quite a jump, though, from texting your friends to line of business apps while walking down the street and running into the cars and stuff, though? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, is that really where people want to do their work? No, you're probably right. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm still stuck on this. What is the logical custom app for a mobile phone that doesn't already come in the phone? Uh, well, you know what, though? I mean, when your FedEx guy or UPS guy comes and delivers a package, he hands you a little device and you get a little pointer on it. That's a, Yeah, that's but he's a, got a dedicated device for that, and I buy that. I'm talking about what do you need on your phone? Well, it depends on who you are. You're right. Consumers need something different <clears throat> than enterprises. And yeah. we do work with guys like FedEx and UPS. Um, actually to, you know, bring it to life, one of the things I've done, uh, you can download it from the Microsoft download site was, uh, it's called the mobile line of business accelerator. Uh, I did one in 2006 and then we just did another one, uh, this last spring, which basically was kind of to jumpstart people on, uh, compact framework, SQL CE, merge replication with SQL server, that whole, whole deal, 
uh, tying into the back end. And so uh, what I did was I built a sample app. It was a supply chain management app uh, where you would, you would log into the device. You know, you could be an order taker. You place an order, and, you, and then you synchronize, and then you might have a warehouse picker who's got a ruggedized Windows mobile device, like, you know, from Interact or Symbol or something like that with a barcode scanner or an RFID reader. And they would see the order come in. They would go pick the items in the warehouse and the bins and stage them. And then you'd go, then there'd be another role on this app, you know, for uh, the forklift driver who might have a vehicle-mounted device, like a CE device. You see a lot of those. Um, And he'll go to the staging area and he'll load the stuff up onto the truck. And then the last role would be the delivery driver. And the stuff you'd see for the delivery driver might be something like calling the MapPoint web service to show them the directions and route optimization to get to their customers they need to visit. It might have things like signature capture uh, for proof of delivery, uh, you know, a digital manifest, maybe be able to print something to a Bluetooth printer. You know how, like, every time when you go to an airport and you return your car and you see those people, uh, they usually have a, you know, they have a big, big giant recognized device getting your right. information, and they have a, a lot of times a, a belt, you know, a Bluetooth printer on their belt that's connect, uh, that can print out, you know, little thermal pages like that. And so... Um, to make it real for a lot of people, built that app. It's a fully working app. It's easy to get running. Uh, and then you get like 5,000 lines of code, you know, hundreds of pages of documentation to say, hey, you can take this to learn from it or, you know, use it for a jump start for your own efforts, things like that. Um, and then we updated it this last spring to add some of the new functionality uh, that you've got uh, with NetCF 3.5, SQL CE 3.5, things like that. So we added in link to it. Uh, we added, what else we did? We uh, sync services for ADO.net to do syncing with SQL 2008 instead of merge replication. Um, gosh, what else? Oh, well, you know, another cool technology we have, a lot of people don't know about is we have a, we came out with a store and forward technology. Um, in addition to people synchronizing their devices with their databases uh, over the air, there's also this need for kind of lightweight messaging and there's some people roll their own or they use third parties to kind of get that message queue-like store and forward where, I mean, imagine it this way. For instance, I build a, an app on my device and I'm a, I need to call a web service. Uh, the reality is is that, you know, rel- uh, you know, wireless networks are inherently unreliable. And so there's a 50-50 chance or whatever, depending where you are, that that web service call is actually going to fail. And so with our store and forward technology for WCF, that's in that CF35, and it utilizes Exchange Server 2007. And what it does is, you know, we, we have our direct push email, so emails get pushed to you on the fly, um, and it's all built into the OS and built into Exchange Server. And so uh, what we decided to do was piggyback over this reliable protocol. And so the scenarios are really interesting from your device. So instead of calling that web service directly, what you do is you call it through this store and forward mechanism and what it basically happens is your web service call, your SOAP stuff, goes into the outbox of Outlook Mobile. And then when the device knows that you have network connectivity, it's going to send it onto Exchange Server, kind of like a message queue. So you're going to get that reliability. It's only going to happen when it can reach it. And, you know, you have that whole kind of underlying, you know, act and act kind of thing. So making sure, yeah, you because know, a mail server is very similar to a message queue server anyway. So that gets you across the, the wireless networks into your data center. And then we use Exchange Server 2007 because in that version, we introduced something called Exchange Web Services. And so then basically coming out of the back of Exchange Server and onto your Windows Server, your final destination of where you want to make that call to, you know, a WCF call, you know, it goes out there and makes it onto its server and executes whatever code on the server, whatever work you want it to do. Uh, and and then likewise, you can do a you know a, you know it's not an automatic request response like a web service. It's more asynchronous, so you'd have to write the code to respond back. But what's interesting is the scenario that opens up. Very very few things in the world can find a device, <clears throat> and what I mean by that is the only way I can reach a device is I could call it or I could send a text message to it. But with our exchange. Uh, direct push technology that gets us push email will exchange always knows where your device is. Wow, that's interesting because it's very hard to push data to a device. Exactly. And so your IP address is constantly changing, you're in and out of coverage, changing cell towers. And so with exchange, 
we can find it. So you could uh, do a response or you could do a server-initiated call, web service call to a device. And so think of it this way. Instead of IP addresses being the endpoint, now a mailbox is the endpoint. And so people with uh, you know existing exchange infrastructures, they could either add mailboxes or use people's mailboxes as endpoints, um, or they can create uh, you know dedicated mailboxes just for a device. A lot of companies will you know like with ruggedized devices, you'll see people sharing devices, and so maybe the device will have a mailbox. So you could do a server call to the device itself, and so built into NetCF 3.5, there's a listener. And, the, you know, obviously the uh, the email that's c- containing the soap envelope and everything in it has, it's, you know, encoded specially. And so when it comes into the mailbox, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't an email to read. It's it's an email to execute code against. And so the person doesn't see it, but NetCF 3.5 sees it and triggers whatever mech- whatever you needed to happen when that call came to the device. And then since it's based on email, you can do interesting things, you know, like distribution lists, you know, aliases. So... I could now, I could make a call to the West region or something like that and have a single call blast 10,000 devices or something like that. Mm. Um, and then the final scenario with there is kind of what I would call pseudo peer-to-peer. Since the mailbox is the endpoint, I could have a device and you could have your tilt and I could make a web service call to your tilt directly or kind of pseudo directly. It's going to go up to exchange and then back down to your device. Uh, but the net effect will be the same. And so... Uh, scenarios where that might be interesting is if I'm using merge replication with SQL Server and SQL Server CE to sync my, you know, the deltas of my data on my device, you know, like I place an order and then I sync, now that order's up on SQL Server, but the guy in the warehouse doesn't necessarily know there's an order waiting yet unless he manually or whatever on some timer syncs with SQL Server. Well, so now I will couple that sync with a pseudo kind of peer-to-peer store and forward message that notifies his device programmatically, hey, there's a new order waiting for you. Go out and get it. Um, or if you wanted to build the next great mobile-based social networking uh, platform, uh, you know, you might think, wow, the way I'm going to poke somebody else in my mobile social networking deals, I'm going to use Store and Forward uh, peer-to-peer to do that kind of thing. So a lot of, lot of interesting stuff around that. And I'm even seeing, I, I talk to a lot of customers about it, and they really light up when they hear the scenarios. Uh, people in the airline business are saying things like, wow, so you mean I could have someone out on the runway when the plane's coming in the tarmac, and they could send a store and forward message to gate 27 in Terminal C to let them know programmatically that a plane's coming and execute actions and just things like that. Um, what, and I'm even seeing customers who are Lotus Notes customers doing trials where they're buying Exchange 2007 just for this technology, and so they kind of use it as a, a mobile middleware server. Interesting, yeah. That was exactly the phrase I was thinking, mobile middleware. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think probably where I spend most of my time, in addition to helping people optimize apps, is all the big things that Windows Mobile can connect to, because I think it's like a Swiss Army knife. You know, it works great with the Microsoft stack, but it works great playing with, well with others, too, you know, in mixed networks. Uh, you know, and oftentimes we've all been in unfriendly companies where they're an Oracle shop, they're a Java shop, a, a J2E, they hate Microsoft. Um, oh, but for our mobile thing, we're going to make this exception and allow the .NET Compact Framework, even though we know, <laughs> even though we know .NET is evil, IIS is evil, and all that other stuff. Well, and, you know, I mean, we joke about it, but I hear it, you know. Yeah. Rob, it sounds like that, uh, you know, for to get all the push email stuff working takes some considerable effort. What about using instant messaging? Well, you could. You could. Um, the Compact Framework has always had the ability to interoperate. There's this thing we've always, it's been called the Pocket Outlook Object Model, and so in addition to interacting with your contacts and mail and stuff like that programmatically from NetCF, you can send and receive SMS messages. I guess uh, that's the drawback, isn't it, that it's not integrated with contacts and calendars and all that stuff? Sure, sure. But we've always had that SMS thing. And, you know, it depends. I, I think, you know, I hate to say the word depends, but where you choose to use these technology depends on where you live in the world. Yeah. In some parts of the world... 
text messaging is cheaper than making phone calls or anything else. Right. So your app might choose to use that. And then in other places, SMS message plans are really expensive, but maybe data plans are cheaper. So you might choose to go the other route. So I just think it just depends. You know, it depends on if you're here or Asia or Europe or, you know. And I should mention that in show 327, uh, Richard and I talked to Jonathan Goodyear on the instant messaging APIs if you're interested in actual code that you can use to do that. SMS APIs. Yep, SMS APIs. Excellent. Excellent. And it is pretty simple to work with that stuff, to send and receive SMS messages. In yep. fact, you can, you can find yourself doing crazy stuff like making your Windows mobile device into a server. Um, it's so powerful and has so many different ways to communicate you can you could have things you know like at a local retail place like a Starbucks or something, and you can imagine scenarios where it receives SMS short codes you know that customers use, and then it's a lookup on the local SQL C database to know that you know you want a certain kind of latte, and they'll automatically place the order for you and stuff right. like that. That's um, it. Well, actually one of the exact scenarios that uh, Jonathan talked about in that really? show. Yeah. Just being able to walk into a store and it already knows like what your preferences are. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, it's sort of smart stuff. So, uh, one one other quick question, tangentially sure. here: Is the tablet PC under your jurisdiction as well, or is that just a totally different? Is something other than mobile? Because it really yeah. isn't. It's totally different. Okay, it's uh, not. Yeah. All right, and uh, we can't let you go without giving us a little preview or hints about what's to come in Mobile 7. Oh, Is there anything you can talk about? I don't know what you're talking about. about. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have never heard of such a product. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, no, no, scoop. we're not making any more versions of Windows Mobile. We're Another, done. I don't, I don't know what you've been reading on the Internet about something like that. Um all I can say, well, the party comes line, after of course, six, right? we're, we're, we're always working, right? We're always working on the next version and improving. You know, our latest version is 6.1. In fact, with your Tilt, you, should, you can go out to AT&T and download an upgrade to 6.1, uh, which gives you threaded SMS, a bunch of other things. Um, one of the biggest things that we have that no one else has because we're a better enterprise player is if you have a 6.1 device, we have this new server uh, called System Center Mobile Device Manager. And so it kind of completes the equation. I can get my device to talk to all these assets in the enterprise, um, but how do I manage those devices? You know, I just deployed 10,000 devices. How do I push software out to all those devices? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to sit there with active sync cradles. And so Windows Mobile 6.1 has the client bits for Mobile Device Manager, which does some really interesting things. One of the things it does is it allows the device to join the domain which is something new, so that your device truly is a first-class citizen. And so, you know, you put it in a certain OU, and then all of a sudden there's objects that are popping up in Active Directory. And so, so the whole group policies that an admin would use to manage policies on desktop PCs, now you can do it with devices. Since we can join the domain, you're in an OU, you've got about 130 different uh, group policies that can be manipulated, uh, security, you can encrypt the entire device now with AES encryption. You can do things. You can disable Bluetooth, the camera. This you is can, all in 6.1. This is in 6.1 using this new server product that we just released in the spring. Because uh, this has been a big pain point in the enterprise, as our customers keep saying, okay, that's great. You can do all this cool stuff, but how do we manage all these devices? And so that's our answer. Okay. You can do software, the software distribution, pushing software devices. We just use WSUS to do that. Okay. We, also, we also have this cool mobile VPN uh, that allows your device to be connected to your corporate network all the time uh, using this super-optimized mobile VPN that even works well over slow things like GPRS, and it does a fast reconnect, maintains a virtual session, a virtual IP, so no matter where you go, it'll it can always connect to you. Um, and so then you can, you know, now you can bring up the web browser and see internal, you know, like expense reports or whatever, different internal intranet sites. Uh, okay. So a lot of functionality there. So let me ask the question a different way. Sure. So the next version, whatever it's called, yes. should Apple be scared? Very scared. <laughs> yes very scared i knew it <laughs> yeah yeah you know we're working on some some secret sauce out there 
Not uh, too yeah. secret anymore, is it? Thank you very much. Breakthrough UI. Uh, Great. Definitely. Great. Cool stuff. Awesome. You had to yeah. wait till the end of the show to drop that nugget on us. but Of course. That's okay. But, you know. Yeah. You got to leave you waiting, right? Is there any... Uh, is there are there any resources uh, for developers other than the standard uh, Windows Mobile homepages on Microsoft that people should be aware of? Maybe in the third party community. Definitely, yeah. And aside from our MSDN and our TechNet stuff, we've had this great third party community, kind of these underground type guys. It's called they have a website called OpenNetCF, and they bunch of mobile MVPs um, who've kind of led the way getting in front of our compact framework team oftentimes, wrapping more native device APIs uh, with managed wrappers so that developers could do things that they could never do otherwise. Uh, so the OpenNetCF are some of the smartest guys out there, and you can go to their site and download all kinds of code and yeah. frameworks to allow you to do just some really crazy stuff with your devices that normally you'd have to do in C++. And if this is OpenNetCF.com? Uh, yeah, or .org, actually, probably. Uh, and I th- actually, they have it both because they, they have a .com now because they've, they've turned into a gold partner as well. They're doing ah, consulting okay. around that, too. And, of course, if, you've nev- if you don't know anything about development for mobile in Visual Studio, there, there is a toolkit for, well, it's, is it built into Visual Studio now, the mobile toolkit, or is it still an add-on? Still an add-on. All right, so there is a toolkit that you can get that allows you to create a new uh, mobile de- application that you can deploy to a mobile device or a mobile website. Well, the website was an add-on, but but the device development, Compact Framework, and all that is fully has been fully integrated into Visual Studio since two thousand three. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so the yeah. website is an add-on, and it right. comes with a, a nice little emulator so that yeah. you can emulate. You don't actually have to have a device to develop software for it, exactly. and you can deploy. Uh, deploy the applications and it's right it's like when, when people ask the question what can you do in the compact framework the answer the question should be what can't you do because you can that's exactly right it's basically exactly. a stripped down version of the the dotnet framework and it's amazingly powerful for how small it is you know um as far you know a lot of the overloaded methods maybe it doesn't have quite as many or you know different things like that uh, obviously there's a lot of stuff we didn't need obviously you don't need asp.net and Remoting or a whole bunch of obvious type stuff. But I remember you didn't put have serialization in there for for a couple of versions, and then you that's did true. add it. Right, we do have that. Yeah, thank God for that. Yeah, really good, especially because I know a lot of people who are using the sockets API with these uh, PDAs using Wi-Fi to communicate, you know, with servers around warehouses or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, very very nice and clean and and stripped down, and without serialization, you can't really do all that much with sockets. Oh, yeah. I think the coolest new stuff as far as reaching out to big enterprise things, you know, is, and I'm going to start doing a series actually on my blog just called Windows Mobile Connects, and it, who knows how long. It'll probably go on for a month. Every day I'll talk about a different thing that you can connect to using the compact framework in Windows Mobile. But, you know, obviously you've always been able to consume just normal web services, uh, now we have the store and forward. We have merge replication, easy to do sync with SQL Server. We now have the new part of the sync framework. We have sync services for ADO.net. So now not only can you sync with SQL 2008 with this new technology, but since it's at a provider model, we could start breaking into enterprises where we couldn't get into before, where I need to sync with Oracle or sync with DB2. Um, and then scenarios where maybe I need a helper, you know, BizTalk, is a great helper to give me access to other things. You know, that great adapter framework where you have a BizTalk allows my Windows Mobile devices to reach out to, you know, SAP, JD Edwards, you know, PeopleSoft, Siebel, Tibco, you know, mainframe servers, you know, through host integration server. So, you know, it's, it's totally ready for prime time and can get at just about anything, either directly or with maybe with help through BizTalk. So really That's cool great. stuff there. That's great. You mean a real yeah. piece of middleware, not just exchange. Exactly. Oh, exactly. man. But you might you may find yourself, you know, you can do your own mashup, you know. Uh, I think the real value, at least in this, with BizTalk, is it's adapters. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then you may have heard about, you know, there's another 
kind of a BizTalk adapter thing where you're not really using BizTalk, the full thing. It's just integrated into Visual Studio uh, where you can see, like if I want to reach into the HR module in SAP and call it BAPI, Visual Studio can create, gen all that code and then expose it on the other end where I can get at it maybe as a web service or something else, something friendly. Um, so a lot, lot of neat stuff around there. Uh, it's 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 really awesome. You can it's impressive. really help. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, Rob, thank you very much. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Rob Tiffany. Do you have a blog, Rob, that we can uh, advertise? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, blogs.msdn.com. Uh, you know, slash Rob Tiffany. Excellent. Thanks, Rob. All right, thank you. Thanks All for having right. me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a